You can help solve a mystery. Uh, good old Robert Stack. No relation to this week's cast. <laughs> but we like to bring him up every cast. Yeah, yeah. It's become a bit of a thing. <laughs> has it Has it been two weeks already, Blake? It has been two weeks already. We are back. We are back. It's a late Saturday night. Real late. Real late in the evening. Real late. We didn't know what to watch this. this you know, we get into those calamities where we think we have a plan and then we eat so much uh, Domino's and Little Caesar's pizza. We just get stuffed, and we're like, what, what are we going to watch? I don't know. Has the ship already sailed? No, we need to watch something. This is, uh, we're going to do a movie that is, tonight we watched a movie that's kind of special to me. Mm. I don't, I know you, we have talked about it, the movie, and we've, we've listened to its score, <laughs> its soundtrack. Um, you give, we're giving it away a little about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, uh. It's our first musical. It is. It's our first musical. It's our. F- is this now the oldest movie we've done? Yeah, it was funny. We were we were talking about our last cast, Dirty Harry. We we're like, wow, we re- went way down the alley with this one. Dirty Harry came out uh, December twenty third, seventy one. This movie came out January. Th- uh, I'm sorry, June thirtieth, nineteen seventy one. So this is technically our oldest right now so far. Way down the alley. So we're we're we're, uh, we're establishing new ground here. <laughs> when I was in high school, like junior high and then high school. I, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I had a group of friends, and we would make a lot of movies on video and stuff, but we would rent a lot of movies, and there were, like, weird staple movies for some reason that I, uh, you know, it's like they were a group of friends, and I kind of joined their group through one of them. A scary initiation. And it was just like I became friends with one and then was kind of brought in as, yeah. as a new member. Finally accepted of, after. of their group. But they had a weird they had a weird group of movies that were like regular rentals. They'd cycle through. Yeah, like Grease 2. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there were just weird movies. Well, who's in Grease 2? Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm thinking of what's Hollywood Nights that's completely different with Tony Danza, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's completely different. Because okay, Michelle Pfeiffer's in that, too. Uh, it was just like a weird... There was weird movies that would get rented over One last over thing about Grease, too. Is it a musical? Yeah, yeah. It's a sequel to Grease. That's, but it's funny, though, because it's like a bunch of dudes. You know, it's like a bunch of dudes who are big, like, you know... Christopher McDonald's in it. Wow. 
It's, it's like, you know, you guys were big, like, gangster fans, big Stallone fans, yeah. big action movie well, fans. That was, you know, an era of, uh, it was also the, that was like the indie film boom of oh, the 90s, you know, yeah. so like, that I watched Quentin Tarantino's movies with those guys for the first time, and Kevin Smith's movies with them for the first time, and we did a cycle of horror, and that's where my love for horror kind of started, too, but there were like these weird movies that were, became very... Uh, regular viewings and this was one of them and around that time there was a redistribution of the movie yeah so we actually went to Crossgates Mall in the Albany and we went and we saw this at the movie theater empty house re-release yeah just a dad and like his two daughters little daughters And us. And, and it like, was a print, of course. It was like course. four of us. It was a beautiful, like, remastered print. Wow. I think it was coming out on, like, some special clamshell VHS. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we went and saw this movie. And uh, I remember that because I worked at a video store at the time. So that was, this was like, you, you, there's only like five things you can watch at a video store. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. A toy store. I was working at a toy store at the time. So we had, like, all Disney movies for sale. And we had all kids' movies for sale. And this was, like, one of the only, like, live-action adult that you could kind of cycle through. So we throw this on all the time at the toy store and it was it was it was good times. It's so weird. Uh this was for me for some reason was always on at Thanksgiving. Hmm. They always played it like I USA. Like we're not even telling them what we're <laughs> no, not yet, not what yet. We're, talking about. we're, we're really holding it. it. We're building that tension suspense. It was weird. It, I have clear memories of like I don't know, I, I for some reason I think it's USA. It was on the USA network they'd play. And they wouldn't like cycle through it like um like TNT does nowadays with Christmas Story. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be on once. So I just remember I'd be on the floor playing with my toys, like waiting for, you know, turkey to be done. Mm-hmm. Or afterward, I'm done with turkey. I'm back in my room and I'm watching. And I remember clearly memories of like playing with my like G.I. Joes, my Batmans, and I'm watching. This was not really a, a big movie for me until like, like I said, like junior high, high school. Although I had seen it because we're going to give a little bit of spoiler. It's based on a book. It is based on a book. And you read the book. We read the book in fifth grade, and in class we watched the movie after we read the book. Yeah. So I had seen it, and then it was like a number of years. I, you know, I didn't have cable and stuff, so maybe that's one of the reasons why it wasn't like a big TV viewing movie. I mean, they say that you know it bega- it you know it didn't do so well in its initial release, no. but it gained kind of a following through originally television viewings and then it was sold to a different well let's just should we just put it on the table <laughs> should we just like, like you tell them what, what we're doing we're gonna take a take a view into paradise with, with some pure imagination here yeah with a with an absolute classic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory yeah 1971 wow what a blessed time what a fucked up movie <laughs> um yes and not so much when you think of the other movies. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that we've we've discussed yeah, in, you various come out, if you, if po- you, in various sidecasts at Powers dot com and and some of the stuff we've talked about here. Um, yes, yeah, it, in context, is, you're right. It's not at all. It's actually a light movie, but on its own, the, the whole way it came about, how it was made, and then greenlit. Everyone's like, "Yeah, this is going to be great," you know. I mean, there's da- no doubt fucked up shit. In it's like it. the black hole, you know? Like Disney's like, this is going to be a great movie. Sure, let's have <laughs> robots killing humans. The kids are going to love it. And then the kids, are, their jaws are on the floor. Um, yeah, undoubtedly some screwed up things in the movie. Uh, I will have to say, like, 
for right off the bat, first thing I got to say about the movie directly, fucking Gene Wilder, man. Gene Wilder's amazing. What a brilliant like decision to cast him because yeah. Willy Wonka is an asshole. Yeah, that's that's the, <laughs> that's in watching this, it's reminded that like you know yeah Willy is a dick, and that's really tough to be able to get somebody. Who's going to sell that part, and you're not going to hate him and just like yeah, him. you it, need to it, have. It's a perfect you, you example. You need to like the guy. It's a perfect example of like how important casting is, because like this so easily could have been. You know, you cast almost anybody else in this movie. Yeah, and Gene Hackman. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> you go that, through any other Gene. Yeah, and you put him in this movie, but it's just like Gene Wilder's just so damn likable. It's just like he's just got you look into his into his blue eyes, and you know he's just like you want to give him a hug. You love, you know, you know how could you not love Gene Wilder? On a complete side note, I'm a huge fan of Gene Wilder. I love him to death. I've loved everything he's in. It's amazing to me that I think about that he's not necessarily a comedian. He does straight roles and stuff. He has done comedies. Some of his finest movies from his catalog are comedies, but you don't see him going out and doing stand up. He just is cat. He's not like a Robin Williams. He's oh. cast in comedic movies and does a wonderful job. Yeah, and yeah. he's splendid in some of, the, like I said, the best movies you know him from are comedies. As well as he's got probably the most soothing voice I've ever heard. I would like them to come out with a GPS. I told my wife the other day. We were in the car. I said, "Honey, in the years to come, if they ever you know install computers into your house and computers start talking to you and shit, everyone's gonna want Hal or everyone's gonna want like you know Pierce Brosnan or some English lady talking to you." <laughs> I want Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder is going to be my yeah, voice yeah. to just talk to me and tell me stuff. Because he's just got... Even now, I mean, he's in his 80s. He lives kind of near us in the Tri-State area up in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, he, he rarely does interviews, but when he does, he, he's been coming up doing some stuff once in a while. You can see on YouTube if you look. And he's still got that very nice voice calming, and it's very soothing. And there's something just really reassuring about him. Like, I would trust my children with Gene Wilder if yeah. I had him. Yeah. <laughs> and if I had that relationship with him. But then all. I think the, the, the stroke of brilliance with, like, his... His performing, his his acting, is that it's like he, when he explodes, it's like really powerful. Like you, he's very soothing, he's very lovable, but you can almost you can see that there's something brewing underneath the surface. And so, with the end of this movie, or like you know, Young Frankenstein, when he fucking lets it loose, it's serious. It's it's brilliant. It's like brilliant. <laughs> he's absolutely brilliant at it. Yeah, I mean this, and I mean I love him. I don't really care. For, that much for the producers. I mean, I love Zero Mosell. Yeah. I love Mel Brooks. But, I mean, him in that movie is so... That opening scene where he's like, you know, uh, huh? I've got water in the face. <laughs> and they can't calm him down. It's just anxiety going, going. He's just... And then his whole cycle, he did about four or five movies with uh, Richard Pryor, which I think... Yeah, really, yeah. You know. But, uh, yeah, Gene is amazing. It's really clutch casting because if you didn't cast Gene in it... <laughs> Gene. If you didn't cast <laughs> Mr. Wilder in it... It could have, yeah. You, then you have no sympathy for him, and then yeah, he just yeah. becomes a dick who's like almost taunting kids. Because Wonka, his character is weird because he doesn't necessarily like children. I don't think no. he does. You know, he just kind of like you know to each his own, and it's kind of like how I, the philosophy I kind of adopted now in life with people. Like you know, if you're rude or whatever, then fine. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And he completely like you know has nothing to. So then the children are left to their own devices, and then their own pitfalls end up tripping him up and he's like you know well there's also there's an aspect i mean and of course as always spoiler alerts up the wazoo with yeah <laughs> this cat uh if you haven't read the book and you haven't seen the movie um we also find out at the end of the movie that he has an agenda yeah um which is 
he's try, he's trying to weed it out weed out so he's trying to find some like a good person so i think Wait, a child as well which is interesting he's not looking for an adult <laughs> so it's even harder to find he's looking for an innocent yeah. child and then and, and then the world in which the movie sets up they live in that's really t- i don't think you can find a, a kid as good as uh as charlie <laughs> bucket charlie bucket you know yeah you know it's uh I think there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy about Raoul Dahl, who wrote the book and wrote the original draft of the screenplay. Um, In terms of they, you know, there's a lot of talk that he was maybe uh, an anti-Semite and he was racist and all this stuff. Um, But when you look at uh, the movie Willy Wonka, there's some screwed up. You could look into screwed up things about it. Like okay, like uh, for those of you, first of all, if you haven't. If you don't know what Charlie and Chocolate, it's based on a book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, was which was made into another movie within the last ten years or yeah, so by Tim Burton. Or um, this was made into Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, but it's a kid Charlie who's kind of his poor, down on his luck. He's got bedridden grandparents that he, in this case, he and his just his mom, his uh, his widowed mother, take care of. Um, I believe in the Tim Burton movie, he has a father also. I can't, it's been so long since I read the book. I can only assume that the, he also has a father in the book. Um, and there is like this world famous, uh, brand of chocolate. Yeah. Wonka bars. created by this guy, Willy Wonka, uh, who has a factory that closed down. He got so fed up with people trying to steal his shit. Yeah. That he closed the factory down. And then... For a couple of years, there was nothing yeah, out of it. Yeah, there was like nothing coming out of it. And then all of a sudden, nobody, nobody ever goes in and nobody ever comes out. It, uh, it just started up again. And uh, it just started turning out chocolate again. Nobody, like I said, like no, nobody sees anybody entering the factory. Nobody sees anybody leaving the factory. Nobody knows what's going on in there. It's a mystery. Gates are locked. And it's unclear. Nobody's seen Wonka. It's unclear whether... The, the the chocolate or the the product was as good prior to after, I mean because now once he 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 designs and brings out this marketing campaign of the the, the golden ticket of yeah. getting five lucky people who will find it all around the world. He's going to put in the Wonka bar. He's going to stick five golden tickets that are distributed throughout the world, and then that person whoever finds the ticket gets a tour of the the factory. With uh, they can bring with, an adult with one family member, and then gets a lifetime supply of chocolate. That's yeah. like the big grand prize. And um, so when this happens in this world, this is the biggest thing. I mean, everything just stops. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's it's and it's funny. I love the little vignettes in it that they end up doing, like the FBI vignette, where you know all he wants is your last crate of Wonka bars, or you have like the uh, yeah, her reaction. There's. <laughs> In this scene, there's a woman whose husband has been kidnapped, and there's like uh, she's with the, like the FBI or the police or whatever, and they're waiting for the kidnappers to call. Yeah, yeah. And he calls, and there's a ransom, and she's like, and she's so great. I don't know who that actress. <laughs> well, is. just they play each one of those. She's, they play it. I know, but she's so like over the top dramatic. Yeah. And then when he's like, he wants your last crate of walkable, crate of walkables, and then her reaction of like her she, silence, she and takes then she it stands in. up. 
And then he's like, did you hear what I said, Mrs. So-and-so? Just, she it's wants your, you just to look your husband's life. life. <laughs> your last grand walk about And, you know, in full disclosure, that sounds a lot like there's a very, 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 very famous Jack Benny routine from the old days where Jack Benny was known as a miser. And his most famous routine is where he's walking home from the, during, on his show, um, on the radio show. He's walking home from the studio and he gets held up and the guy puts a gun to his back. It goes, your money, your life. And there's a pause. And then, of course, everyone starts laughing. He's like, your money, your life. And he's like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Because, you know, he's such a miser. So it's almost like that. And she's like, you know, how long do I have to think about it? Or yeah, yeah. You know, and you see, like, the Wonka van outside the White House. There's another funny one where the, it's the last crate in the U.K. And the Queen's bidding on it over the yeah, phone. There's a, there's you know, a, I don't, there's I don't, a, uh, auction going on you know, for it. Um, it's weird. Uh, Dahl, he, he wrote the book in 64. And even though he's English, it came out in America first. It was published in America, and then it was published in England in 67. And then uh, I guess the story behind it is that the director, Mel Stewart's daughter, yeah. she, she read the book and just randomly, she was eight at the time? She was eight or ten or something like that. Yeah, she, yeah, she was young. She, she walks up to the father and she's like, hey, you and Uncle um, Dave, yeah, who, who was a producer at the time, should do this book. And uh, or do this into a movie. And they're like, all right, reads the book. That has potential. And then the uncle, the producer at the time, had just... Uh, been bartering a deal with Quaker Oats. Yeah. And Quaker Oats... Well, they had just done a project together for something else. And then Quaker Oats uh, was going to... Dis- they were going to create and distribute a chocolate bar. Yeah, and they wanted... They're looking for a vehicle to try to... Dis- to, to yeah, to, I guess to compete with Hershey's. And, and uh, so they said, hey, you know what? Why don't you... We'll, you... you you buy the rights to the book, you help us finance the movie, and you'll have your bar there. Yeah. And, and then uh, the movie will just be a giant commercial for your new candy bar. So, and that's one of the reasons why they changed the name of the movie. Yeah, from Charlie. Because they were going to make a Wonka bar, so they wanted to have the word Wonka in the title of the movie, so it became Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory. And now they do have Wonka bars, and now it's, I think Quick Arts sold it to Nesty, and Nesty owns it, so you have Wonka bars. But, it's so, it, but it gets back to our advertising. We talked about on the... Uh, Transformers podcast, the G.I. Joe podcast. This is basically, at the end of the day, was made <laughs> by advertisers of advertising. You made by advertisers yeah. to sell a product. And I mean, and it was brilliant. How they and did then it. in a stroke of irony, there was something wrong with the formula <laughs> of the chocolate. When, it, when, it, when, it, when the bar premiered when the movie came out, yeah. they were supposed to have the, the chocolate bars in tandem with the movie. So it's like, uh, you know, this is prior to like the mass commercialization of like Star Wars with, with yeah. the, to- the whole idea was they were going to make the movie the movie's going to come out that we're going to have this fucking chocolate bar and we're, it's, kids are going to be brainwashed <laughs> and they're going to want to eat all this goddamn chocolate. chocolate but then there ended up being like a problem with the formula of the chocolate and the chocolate bar would just like melt in stores and they, they had the mass recall and they had to recall all the chocolate so then the whole reason why Quaker Oats made the movie was now non-existent and so there was just this movie without, like, the chocolate bar tie-in. And I'm surprised. I'm sure that there was a whole bunch of um, yelling and screaming. Oh, my God. In Chicago. People got fired, I'm sure. <laughs> More than that, probably jumping out of windows. <laughs> uh, so that's why the movie didn't do as well. And then it, uh, it kind of staggered for a couple of years. And then, I guess, in the late 70s, Universal, who put the money out for it, had said, you know, there's nothing else we really want with it, which I find very, <laughs> there's not very much forward thinking there. So they yeah, sold it yeah. to Warner. Warner's like, great! Warner took it, re-released it onto video in the 80s, and then, hence, Warner's been pumping all this mo- money into it, and they got the rights, and they ended up being the reason why they had the new, the uh, I don't know if you'd call it a reboot or a, or a remake or just, a, you know, whatever, yeah, in 2004 or 5. Um, Dahl, it's interesting, he, he says uh, in, in, in his childhood days that, uh, 
you know, at the time in England, Cadbury was one of the biggest chocolate companies in the world. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Cadbury would often send test packages to school children in exca- exchange for their opinions about topics. And they had this rivalry. Uh, Roll Tree was, an, was, was another uh, company uh, for chocolate. And they were the two biggest chocolate companies. And they would steal secrets in the 20s, sending spies, posing as employees into the other factories. So both companies became highly protective of their chocolate-making processes. And it was so elaborate uh, with gimmicks and stuff like that. That gave him the idea of yeah. like, the basis of the chocolate in the, in the chocolate factory aspect of, uh, of his book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And it's weird because there's missing chapters as well that I guess as um, in recent years, he died like 91 or 92, but it's come out that he had the missing chapters, one called The Spotty Powder, one called Fudge Mountain, that the publishers thought were a little too grisly, and maybe it came out to be a little too anti-Semitic, where he's killed, he, was, he was killing a lot of kids, you know, um, and a lot of them were British kids. So, that, so the publishers were actually like, you know what, let's just keep it to one British kid, keep it to <laughs> Americans and Germans. Yeah, so it yeah. might go over is a little better, too, uh, in these lost chapters. And then actually, as recently as like last year, 2013 or 14, there was this big uh, uproar because yeah. with the 50th, anni- the 50th yeah, anniversary of the book coming out, yeah. they, they put out this really like tardy. Have you seen the cover? It's kind of, it's, it's weird looking. It's just, a, it's like a little girl yeah, dressed up it, like in a. Yeah, it's more like a. Like tea and, uh, toddler and tiaras kind of. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. It's like a child, like beauty like pageant. JonBenet Ramsey kind of like inflection. She's sitting yeah. on her mother's lap and you can't see the mother's head. So you just see her. She's framed on this lap and she's really done up. And it ha- really, for me, has nothing really yeah, to like do. I don't understand what the connection I is. I think it's supposed <laughs> to be an extrapolation that it's Veruca Salt or this is or it's the just the crazy world that the book takes place in, which granted, OK, but. The, the photo shoot wasn't done for the book. It was actually done for some French um, magazine or whatever, and they took uh, a couple of the photos from that photo shoot and used it as the cover, but it caused this huge controversy, which maybe they wanted. Yeah. They maybe. wanted to have it, hey, you know, have it come back relevant, you know. Um, and then there was a sequel, of course, to, to the book called Charlie and the Glass Elevator. The Great Glass Elevator, I which, believe, yeah. Which I think they were going to originally do a sequel to, but then they never did. There's... Uh, um I'm trying to think if it's the book read by, or I believe, like, if you search around online, you can maybe find, like, a BBC, uh, either, I can't remember what it is now, either a BBC, like, radio play. Yeah, they were going to do something in the 80s. They did They did a... Of, uh, of the Great Glass Elevator. Or if it's... Willie. Or Charlie. Or if it's Willy Wonk, or if it's the first book or the second book just read by uh, Eric Idle from Monty Python. Well, that's cool. They so did. They did like a BBC radio play of it in the eighties, and there's been a stage production in London yeah. in years past. Uh, and then going back to you saying the anti-Semitism originally uh, in his, I guess in the earlier vi- versions of the book, it was astounding. I'm quoting from uh, Wikipedia here: the insensitivity regarding the betrayal of the Oompa Loompas were supposed to be black pygmies, and they were like, "You can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, that was one of the things I was age. gonna where where I was kind of getting at that there are like things that you could look at as being kind of weird in the book in the movie, um, and that's when I brought up the controversy. Is that like, for instance, okay, he he saved the supposedly Oompa Loompas is this uh, this uh, uh, race of race of people from Oompa, Oompa Land or something like that, and they're yeah, Loompa Land, and they're getting. Uh, basically massacred by evil, not by evil, but by uh, you know be- creatures, Wangadoos, and uh, a whole bunch Snaz of Snozzwangers, yeah. and very much out of um, uh, Doctor Seuss when he yeah, starts yeah. going on to that tirade there. So he kind of says to them, like everybody come to my factory, 
and this solves you, the big and you'll be safe but i'm going to and then but i'm going to make you slave labor <laughs> you know? so he basically takes this entire race of people off of an island but, but or I guess they it is. sound i guess they're content with it but it's yeah it's like it's kind of one half of the other you know i'm going to i'm going to procure this pr- procure you this life but in this, in the time you're going to work it off, so you're going to be like an indentured servant, yeah, like yeah. So his it, so Wonka's saying, white, pl- you know, pl- uh, cane plantation. <laughs> I'm just saying, on like on certain levels, you can look at that as being kind of fucked up. And when we were talking about like he's looking for a child, and the reason why he's looking for a child is because like an adult's going to have his own opinions about how to do it. So he wants a child so that he can brainwash that child. Into, ju- into running the factory exactly the way he wants it to be yeah. run when he's gone. It's weird because <laughs> if, you get, if you start really reading into the movie, uh, the book, I guess, but since I haven't read the book and you haven't read the book I remember since 65 fifth grade, years. <laughs> fifth grade. So. Uh, which, but, you so know, fucking 1990s. Which is funny because now this makes me I want to go actually read the book. So yeah. I'm actually looking forward to going and checking the two out. Or a lot of, of other stuff because I guess we should mention that uh, Roald Dahl also wrote James and the Giant Peach. He wrote The Witches, which is really good. He wrote Matilda, mm-hmm. which they made into a movie that Danny DeVito was in and directed. Yeah. Uh, he did a lot of Hitchhiker episode, um, the Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes. He wrote I've a couple it. of James Bond movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, he wrote the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, evidently, he wrote the original story that Gremlins is based on uh, from his time when he was, because he was in the RAF in World War II. Uh, he wrote uh, Twit TV, which is a British thing. He wrote BFG, Big Friendly Giant, which is another uh, very big thing in UK. As well as the last bit of trivia for him is his granddaughter in BFG, Big Friendly Giant. It's based on his granddaughter, Sophie. Sophie, she's the main character. She became a plus-size model discovered on the streets. Uh, I don't know, I guess fairly recently. So maybe that's, uh, I don't know, whatever she is now. And then once they, she, they discovered her and she became a plus-size model, they realized who she was. Oh, my God, she's the granddaughter of uh, Roald Dahl, and she's the character in this book. And now she has this huge career as this huge supermodel in the U.K. She's very established, and she does, you know, she's a presenter on shows and has her own stuff like that. But it's, it's funny where things lead you. Uh, it's nobody in the world is really a nice person. Even if you want to like get into it, Charlie himself, like everybody has like, you know, there's gluttony, there's uh, greed, there's uh, manners that yeah, each kid represents something that we see. And Charlie, you can almost say like represents want, you know, he, he, he is always wanting something better for the family. I mean, yeah. Needless to say, if it's a, for the right or wrong reasons, but that's like almost his, his thing there, his his trope or his thing is he wants better. He wants, you know, because even, because at the end, he technically does, him and his grandpa violate the rules. Well, that's my, that, <laughs> you know, look, you're, and then his can, grandpa gets mad at don't, him. Don't, don't, get me, his, don't get me on a tirade about grandpa. <laughs> grandpa, who we love because he's also in the Poseidon Adventure. He's in a lot of other stuff. He's a great actor. You know, he kind of leads Chico the hand. Chico and the man. Chico and the man. He, he, he kind of leads the hand of Charlie. To, to, to commit this act. I have... I've, look, over the years, I've seen this movie... This, I may have seen this movie more times than I've seen any other movie. Mm. And I've seen a lot of fucking movies multiple times. But over the last couple of years, I've really... Uh, I'm glad you brought up Grandpa Joe, because I've developed like this real kind of dislike for Grandpa Joe uh, over the last couple of years, because... I like how it's only recently as well. <laughs> yeah, like it took me a <laughs> Once you started drinking. As I got older, I think I started to realize, like, what a fucking son of a bitch Grandpa Joe is. I mean, like, all four of his grandparents are bedridden for the last 20 years. And they're not, you know, like, Grandpa Joe's not that old. So Grandpa Joe's been, like, bedridden since he was, like, 45 or 50. <laughs> 
Yeah, and does he really need to be? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> it's like you know what? He, when when opportunity calls, he can get out of bed and yeah. dance around the fucking room. And he's got money for tobacco <laughs> for for a pipe of tobacco a week. <laughs> his, his, Charlie's busted his hump. His I, I don't know if it's his daughter or his daughter-in-law. Yeah, she's you Charlie's know, mom's washing washing other laundry. people's laundry. You know, and he's they're giving him money for tobacco, and you know they come in and cabbage water, and Charlie brings home a loaf of bread for everybody. Which is another thing to say too is like they got a TV, so like they're drinking cabbage water, but they're watching TV at <laughs> night. It's like, you know, I understand, but it's you know, it's like you see the bedpans underneath the fucking bed. Yeah, and uh, so then there's all that. But okay. it, it is there is something comforting in the fact of like the family all being together in the bed. And there that is, kind of a thing. It's but nice. it's like you know what, like for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't know what like catastrophic event happened where all four grandparents <laughs> suddenly couldn't get their asses out of bed to do anything. But you're right. So then they go. He chooses that he wants. He Charlie wins the ticket. Which, by the way, there's so much like there's so much to talk about. <laughs> when Charlie wins the ticket. Is it just me, but like I am petrified every time that somebody's going to take the ticket? Yeah, out of well, this day and age, someone would just you know, someone would like slap him in the head with a forty and then like take the ticket and then they would run, Charlie, and don't stop until you get there. Yeah, so you're 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 worried that someone's just going to snatch it from him, which you think they would, but maybe they're just not smart enough to. But uh, you're right. So towards the end of the movie, we're <laughs> we're knocking all the kids off the list. Yeah, here it comes back. It's just Charlie and Mike TV. And we're, we're clearly jumping around a bit. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're jumping back and forth. We already gave a synopsis. This is like the uh, memento of, <laughs> of a, a podcast. We're, we're, you know, it's the, we're not going in order here. But you're right. So Molly Mako shows them fizzy lifting drink and says, don't, t- don't drink it. It's not ready. Don't touch anything. You could die. <laughs> fucking Grandpa Joe is like, you know what? Screw it. You know, let's fucking drink some. So they, Charlie's an innocent little kid. And he's like, you sure, Grandpa? (laughs) They drink the fizzy lifting drink. It causes them to float. And they start to float towards the top of the the, uh, silo, wherever the fuck they are. And there's a big fan. They're going to die. Finally, they realize that if they just fucking burp or whatever, they'll come down. But as they're going up, they're fucking, you know, trying to save their lives. They're touching the everything. They come down. And then that becomes like this thing where he's not gonna because they violated the rules charlie's not gonna win his chocolate and then the grandpa's the gold like yell uh, yeah. he chews out yeah. dream crusher <laughs> and that's gene wilde's best scene it's like good i said good day good day sir and but he's like you know it's like grandpa judge you're fucking fault man like you can't get angry at willy wonka you signed he told the kid to sign a contract <laughs> at the beginning of the movie they all signed this thing that says they're not gonna fucking touch shit they're not they're gonna behave themselves and then grandpa joe bad influence and then has the fucking nuts to fucking yell at willy wonka and he's like screw it let's go charlie we'll give slow where this fucking cops well clearly if you want to look at this as a microcosm of where society has gone to nowadays this is a, a complete example of nowadays with the self-entitlement and people feeling like the sense of narcissism and that, that they should get everything where you know that he they 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 were entered into a binding contract and now they're they're getting mad that they violated it as opposed to wonka's like i held up my end of the deal <laughs> yeah yeah you like, know and, and you're being you're being a douche about it so you know clearly he, wonka didn't need to do anything wonka could have just and it was only on charlie's just like innocence as a boy that he 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 says no i won't i won't give i won't go give the everlasting gobstopper yeah, to yeah. there's a whole that's a whole plot line slug drug. yeah <laughs> 
Well, well Slugworth <laughs> starts showing up. Every Slugworth is a is a competitor of Willy Wonka. So one of the reasons why Wonka closed the factory in the first place uh, that we talked about a little while ago, because Slugworth was sending in spies. Yeah. Now originally and, in, the, in the guise of workers to steal like ideas and formulas and stuff from Wonka. Uh, originally, this wasn't so much in the book, but the second uh, screenplay. They, they had gotten Roald Dahl to do the first screenplay. And uh, it was great. He was okay with the name change. But I guess he couldn't meet the deadline. He was taking too long. So they brought in uh, David Seltzer, Seltzer yeah. to redo the rewrite. He, he, wrote, came he, up, he wrote The Omen. Uh, he wrote and directed Punchline. <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's another movie right before. Oh, uh, Lucas. With did Lucas? Corey Haim. Oh, he wrote wow. and directed Lucas. I've never seen Lucas. That's wow, a weird, that's that a, maybe we might have to do that one at some <laughs> point. I know. That's a, that's a nice uh, uh, two for one We'll do a double feature there. He came in, he finished it up, and he... But this was the first thing he had ever done in terms of film. So he must have maybe had a TV career or was doing something yeah, coming I'm off. I'm not sure what he was, but um, this was, he was first hired, and he doesn't even get credit. But and, anyway, and continue. He, no, but he brought, he brought in, the, he brought or, or emphasized the Slugworth plot, and he brought in the other idea of, of Wonka quoting literary sources like, um, you know... Uh, Oscar Wilde or Shakespeare, Arthur O'Shaughnessy, because so, there's all kinds of stuff throughout yeah, the yeah. thing that he's quoting. The point of being earnest, Merchant of Venice. Well, Selt- well David Seltzer's big th- point of view, which I, a big point in the movie, which I think was a kind of a stroke of brilliance, is that in the original script there was no villain. Mm. Like it was just these kids, and they go, and you know it. It all happens, but he he kind of injects. Uh, Slugworth into the story as being someone who's trying to corrupt the children by asking them to steal an everlasting gobstopper, which is going to be which is a piece of candy that Willy Wonka has been working on that when it when it comes out it's going to revolutionize the candy business well, there'll be no, and, and defeat all his competitors. And there'll be no reason for forever to buy candy again if, if you buy it. It's like buying a I don't know, you know, it's like buying a I don't know. What, I can't even equate it. You know, what's something you can buy that you you get it once and you never have You'll to never get it need again. it again? Yeah, you know, You'll I don't never know. need to buy new unless you lose it. Maybe you drop it on the yeah, floor. Yeah, take it out. Like someone steals it. Hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't wash it off. No, because it won't come off. <laughs> but it's a piece of candy that will never lose its flavor and never get smaller. Yeah. So Slugworth, uh, he approaches, and it's hilarious how he just he he always ends up being right in the same location within feet of whoever finds the. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the ticket and it's hilarious. You have uh, Augustus Glute. The, the best part about the, the, the Augustus Glute, his scene when he he they interview him. The whole I, the, the beautiful thing about one of the great things about this movie is the use of like is like the Paul Verhoeven use of, All the media. of like media. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, like the news and media becomes a very important part of the first half of the movie about. Uh, moving the story forward, and sets and up the, the world, and letting us as a viewer, like you said, setting up the world, but also advancing the storyline. Um, it's a great, it's a great uh, use. I mean, Mel Stewart came from a, a documentary background, and I feel like some of that was kind of a little bit of a touch. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't remember the book. I don't know how much how important it was, but at least like the use of it, like the the execution of it. Um, I think is is brilliant, but like when it opens up and it's like in in, uh, in Germany and they're going to interview Augustus Gloop and the reporter standing in front of the antlers that are oh, it's perfectly up. framed that he's yeah the antlers just, are framed behind him. There's just so many 
these little great little things that are just like repeat viewing or just like little things that you'll notice and you'll and they'll just make you kind of chuckle or, or smile throughout the whole movie it's, well they, they shot it in munich and in, in other parts of germany because they wanted to have that kind of they didn't want to look so much like america or yeah. england they wanted to have it kind of look like that i guess you know eastern european kind of yeah a look. i think it was a little bit of an attempt to make it look a little stylized without stylized having to spend timeless the budget. not maybe you know everywhere you yeah. know, like it could be anywhere. Uh, I mean, which is which I think it completely works. I mean, it completely plays that you think it, it definitely is. Cr- creates an atmosphere uh, that you wouldn't have gotten by shooting in America. And it's weird. Stewart also credits, like they said at the beginning of the movie, they were going to actually have Sammy Davis Jr. come and sing the Candyman. And he's like, no, he didn't want it because he didn't want it to become like. Oh, become, Mel Stewart didn't want it. Yeah, yeah. Mel Stewart. He, he said didn't he, want it to be a spectacle. Yeah, so he, he didn't have Sammy Davis, which is weird because I would think. I would think any other actor or any other director would say, yeah, you want that because that helps you. Then you have a song that's going to be by a huge person that's going to be pumped. And it's another avenue to get the, the film juiced, but it was a creative decision he made, uh, which is ballsy. And I'm, I'm very surprised, and I guess I'm glad that the studio did side with him because he yeah, was the yeah. director at the end. It might not have been the right one, but hey, he did it. And it's also interesting at the beginning of that movie, since we're talking about the Candyman, any other today, that guy would be a kitty fiddler. <laughs> that guy would be the <laughs> biggest <laughs> pedophile. I mean, come on. I mean, who? I mean, you take that 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 I song mean, out of candy com- shop. I know. Well, on, on, on its own, it's probably one of the hardest rackets to have nowadays. A candy I was going to say, you know, I was thinking while I was watching it, I was like, you know, it would be really awesome if, and I could see it happening only here, when if like City. down in the fucking village. Somebody opens this fucking soda shop, a candy shop, and makes it look exactly like that. Like the old-fashioned... <laughs> no, exactly like the one in the movie. Oh, like when and like with the Bills, Like Bill's candy shop or whatever. And you'd be like, I think you could... You know, it's definitely... Uh, there's soda fountains. It's definitely more... It's, it's like a soda shop. But if you if you take it like out of the context of him him singing and you don't know the movie, so you take the you take the... The scene out of context, put it in a different movie. He, it's just so scary. He's just so like, you know, who is it? It's just like you think of what his motives are. And it's just like, wow. It's well, so he's singing about Willy Wonka. Oh, I know, I know. I'm just <laughs> he's saying. not even singing about himself. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just to see that it's just like, you know, you extrapolate it. It's like, wow, you know. But uh, Mel did a lot of things that like, you know, that I think either hurt it or helped it. And I think most of it, he helped all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, it got to the point where... Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think the movie would be better with Sammy Davis Jr. I no. mean, you're right. Maybe at the time, maybe I think it, it would have been, been a more of a commercial uh, impact. And he might be right, because it would be odd suddenly Sammy's in it for just that one song. <laughs> you know, Sammy's not going to show he, up. Yeah, well, he, he then sells the Wonka bar. Oh, the yeah, yeah, Wonka yeah. Bar to Charlie. So but he's only in those two scenes. Yeah. I feel like it maybe might have been a better choice to just have, like, you know, someone completely forgettable for that part. Yeah. Um a lot of the beautiful thing about this movie is how it works on, you know, we've, we've mentioned some of the comedic aspects um, being kind of brilliant. And it's just the movie's so full of it. And it's so like, you know, I feel like the movies that the quote unquote kids movies that stand the test of times are the ones that do work on the, like both a child level and the adult level. Yeah. There's so many funny things that are over a kid's head, like. Yeah. But the kid doesn't. You don't. You don't need to get it to enjoy the movie. But when you're, it's, you know, uh, you know, when you're, when you're uh, like a, a parent taking your kid to see the movie or whatever, 
like it becomes a movie when it is funny to you. It becomes a movie that maybe you would not mind watching a million times with your kid or whatever. So I feel like those kinds of movies are the ones that last a long time. And this movie is just full of funny things. Uh, you know, so many lines by Gene Wilder where he's like, oh, uh, I'm, a tra- I'm a tat, I'm a tat deaf in this there. Speak a little louder next time. Mike T, you can tell like he just hates Mike TV from the beginning. He's like, why don't you open your mouth a little bit wider next time you talk? Well, he's like, <laughs> you know, he has a little, he kind of has like a, uh, a way about him that he, he has all those throw-off lines, which are very funny, where she's, you know, she's talking about habits. He's like, I know a worse one. She's chewing her gum so loud. Yeah, and, well, no, she's picking her nose. Yeah, oh, yeah, so she's, yeah, you know. And just all his little things to, like, almost, like, kind of, like, just get them off their back, where they're like, you know, you have, you have liquor in there? And he's like, you know, lic- uh, candy is dandy, well, liquor he, is quicker. He has yeah. all these little... You know, you but have also, to go forward to go back. You know, all these little just things just get them off their backs. And yeah, yeah. He starts talking in German at one point, or he's like, um, you know, all, he has all these really cool. You know, we are the music makers, we're the dreamers of dreams. Just shit yeah, that's yeah. just like, you know, it's very it's very interesting. But it's also like, uh, like you said, I mean, the mentality of like, okay, if you're going to be a spoiled little brat or whatever, it's like he he doesn't he's not. He, he doesn't want to babysit these kids. So he'll be like, stop. Oh, like, no, please, <laughs> stop. No, please don't do that. You know, like, well, I think he also, what, he wa- what they should do, but he's not going to, he also knows be not, an authority figure. It's not really these, his responsibility. Yeah. It should be the parents and the parents it, it, throughout the movie. The parents never really criticize. The only time right before they're about to go into the factory, Augustus's mom says she kind of chastises him by saying, save room for dinner. If you eat now, you won't have any dinner, and that's the only way. Like, everybody else is like an enabler yeah. for Ruka Salt. The for uh, Ruka darling, yeah, it's all you know, sweetheart. whatever you want. He's got his whole factory going at it, you know, and it's it's it, it, that's very comedic. She's great, the actress who played Ruka Salt, who's done the bunch oh, of other things. Oh, she's fantastic. I mean, this, she's big voice she's worker. amazing in that movie. Yeah, um, um, my f- other favorite scene where they interviewed Mike uh, TV. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to get a real... <laughs> okay. and, the, and the father's like, not until you're 12. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I can't wait till I, my dad said I can't get one yet. A real gun. Not until you're 12, son. Um, yeah, which is weird, but it's, it's just that whole mentality of the kids can get whatever the hell they want and just enablers, you know, the, or the... The uh, is it Mike TV's father's? The, is he the uh, the car salesman? Yeah, so Sam Texas, yeah. here. <laughs> so it's just all they all have their own motive, motives and stuff. And well, I mean, it is you know, it's amazing. Like you and I now being adults, you know, you know, we don't have kids, but we're definitely at the age where our you know our friends are having kids and stuff. And you know, I have a nephew, and um, you know, I'm not saying anything specific about any any anybody specific but there's a way you can see that the way you raise kids is different today than it was when we were little and we kind of you know I think we think of this day and age as being like an age of parents that are enablers yeah and helicopter moms spoiled kids and you know uh, a lack of discipline but when you watch a movie that came out in 1971 that is totally a comment and all that. And you, it kind of puts things in perspective where, like, this isn't new. <laughs> this isn't, like, a new thing. You know, we think of, like, it as being something that is of today's generation and that, like, you know, dis- we were disciplined when we were kids or we wouldn't have acted that way. But here's a movie that came out well, based on a book that was written in 1964. The movie came out in 1971. It was made in 1970. And it is totally tackling the same ground 
that like we co- like adults complain about today about kids and parenting and stuff. So I you know I just find that kind of stuff interesting where you see like how kind of universal some things are and it kind of puts your own life and times in kind of pers- in a different perspective. It's weird that the thing that you know we talk about age and Gene Wilder was thirty seven when he did this. So it's just like right around the corner for us, and it's just like he don't look like thirty. He looks like he's in his forties. <laughs> I know people look so much older in back the old then, days. or maybe we just think we look so much younger. I mean, it could, that very well could be. I mean, and he talks about he attributes the opening. He came up with the opening gag with the cane because he he said he wanted. He said that was the whole reason why he he would not do the movie unless they let him do that. Well, they said um, he came up. He said he wanted to do it. They agreed. He did it. He did one take without it. And later on the next day when they saw the dailies, they said, it works. We're going to leave it. And he goes, what do you mean if it didn't work? He's like, well, we got you to do a take without. And he said he realized because Gene, which I love about Gene, is he's not, he doesn't really keep things secret. He's a really nice guy, but he kind of has that, that bubble around him. I actually met him in 2007 or eight. I think it was. Very nice person. But you could tell he's kind of like, he doesn't like to do many interviews. He's kind of guarded. He's yeah, like, leave yeah. me alone. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm nice. He'll sign autographs. He'll say he's very pleasant, but at the same time, he wants his space. From sure. Him. And that's what he says about Hollywood. Like, he's, he got a really bad taste in his mouth, and he talks about, and that was one of the things he was saying. So they would have actually, he learned right then never to do that. Never yeah. to give them a take they want, because they may go use that take, yeah, and yeah. he has no and control. And the gag right. piece we're speaking about is, the first time we're introduced to Willy Wonka, he comes walking out of the factory, red carpet, all the way to the gate. He's going int- to bring the kids in for the first time. It's the first time we're, as a viewer, and, as the, and the kids in the movie, are seeing Willy Wonka, and he's walking with a cane with a limp. Hmm. And as he approaches the gate to let the kids in, he puts down the. He takes the step with the cane. Cane stays where it is. He takes a step with out the cane. Cane's still stuck in the ground, and then he looks like he's going to fall. And then he rolls, and then stands right back up. And we realize that like this limp was an act the whole time. Yeah, and he he says he wanted to do it uh, Wilder to show that hopefully after that point you can never trust Wonka. Yeah, you never know if Wonka's telling the truth or not. Yeah, and I think it works brilliantly because it's like, oh, he's a trickster. This is, this is, you, it's a pure little device to introduce yeah. you to what Wonka really essentially I is. I don't think it's something, I don't think it's something that as a viewer, especially a child viewer, <laughs> but I don't think it's a viewer where you think of that as being like a very conscious thing and you're like, that Wonka, he yeah. can't be trusted. Watch out, Mildred. <laughs> but it makes, at the end of the movie, it's come something like at the end of the movie, you realize, where he's had this agenda, and he's just waiting for Charlie to give back that gobstopper, that you realize that, like, it makes, it just creates an arc where, like, you can't question yeah. that, like his character is not like working on some s- certain level. It just creates a, a beautiful character arc where you c- everything is now believable once it's revealed. Like, oh, okay. Like he has been kind of fibbing, <laughs> you know, throughout the movie and he's got this agenda. Yeah, he's he's had an agenda that he truly wants. Well, how about the music? I mean, it is a musical uh written by uh Leslie Burse uh Brecus and Anthony Newley. Yeah. And I think I think all the songs, I mean, you have the, you have the Oompa Loompa songs, which I guess are from the book to yeah. a certain extent because they're kind of like lessons in the book. But aside yeah. from that, all the other But you'd stuff have to was, put a melody to it. Yeah, you know? and then all the other stuff was kind of invented for the movie. And, and myself, I mean, aside from like, you kind of forget like the mother sings a little song yeah, at the yeah. beginning. <laughs> I always joke around like that's the part. 
<laughs> Charlie comes in. He's like, I want to walk you home. She's like, well, I'm going to be here late. And he's like, oh, it's her job. Yes, yeah. they found the fat ticket. And he's like, oh, but I want it the most. Yada, yada, yada. And then she leaves. And he, as Charlie's leaving, she looks out the door and she sings a song that's like, cheer up, Charlie. That's like, that's the moment where you go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that little, it's that little scene. It's like, okay, now it's like, I have, to, I have time to run to the can. I mean, that's like the second song. And then, until like he gets, and then he gets the golden ticket, which is the third. And then, uh, you know, you have like pure imagination. You have the Wonka songs. You have Veruca's song, which I think she's the only child in it. She's she sings the only her own one song. That gets to sing her own song. Uh, I mean, I love this 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 score. I I say I, I mean it could be very controversial, but I think it's up there with anything of the time that say uh, you know Irving Berlin or uh, Cole Porter were oh, doing. Oh, I think the songs are great. You know, I mean, I think it's just. I think it may not, not be the best, like say "Singing in the Rain" or something like uh, "Top Hat," but I think it if you if you put them up against. Whatever was coming out genre-wise, either on Broadway or then turned into musicals of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, I think this is... Yeah, but this is also, you know, this is a different time, a different kind of musical. I feel like this is coming off of, you know, things like Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I mean, it's more... Disney reaction. Trying to, uh, you know, do that kind of audience than, you know, a class, you know, than like fucking West Side Story. Yeah, or something Gershwin or... Or, you know, I mean, I think you think of like... You think of the jukebox musicals being something very of today, especially we live in New York. So, I mean, we are, f- you know, feet from yeah. Times Square. And, you know, so things like Mamma Mia and uh, the Jersey Boys, the, the idea of musicals being around, being written around a, a pre-existing music. Yeah. You think of that as being like a very... Uh, thing of today i mean even the movie from a few years ago moulin rouge being like existing pop music but i mean singing the rain is a jukebox musical american in paris is that american paris is a musical written around the music of the gershwins so it's not kind of a it's not it's really not a new (laughs) kind of innovation in musicals um you know musicals have always kind of existed there are obviously the Bubsy Berkeley, you know, <laughs> things were were bigger, and then, and then, then we were talking about Mary Poppins and shit. I think this is more of that, and I think uh, I love that it's not as intrusive. Yes, like the Charlie's Mom song. Obviously, they're numbers that the the story kind of pauses for a second for this. But I feel like there's only a handful of them. But they're not too much. They're not like traditionally for me, like in big musicals, like you know, Seven Brides or Seven br- uh, Brothers, Groom, yeah. Brothers uh, Brooms, uh, where it's like you know, they, you know, like like the number starts and you okay, everyone stops down. <laughs> you know, you have to <laughs> the put big everything dance down. Numbers, yeah, you know, it's just it's huge. This and it's is 20 not minutes. huge. There's not really. You kind know. of these sto- these songs kind of advance the plot. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. like I've got a golden ticket. It's mine, Charlie. Okay, let's go. <laughs> you know, like or like you know, do you want to view Paradise and Pure Imagination? And then the Oompa Loompas are actually singing songs about hey. You know, if you're if what do you do when you gobble down trees eating much as an elephant eats and you know, yeah. or T V watching too much. So it's there's little lessons that I liked I always liked that from a child, knowing there's little lessons, especially in the Oopa Loopa song. Well these song to, Yeah. And I think that the fact that there's not a ton of them you know, there obviously there's as many Oopa Loopa songs as there are kids that fucking disappear and uh, you know, pure imagination and yada yada. But it's not like the it's you know the movie's not wall to wall songs no so I love that about it and when you get it they're good I mean they're good they've now become they're now becoming like American standards you know like back in the early two thousands or whatever the 
Harry Connick Jr. released an album where he sings a number of these songs. He does really well. Uh, recently, uh, Zoe Deschanel did one. She sang Pure Imagination that they used in a really cool Chipotle commercial about them trying to go a little more greener with their, their meats and get it, yeah. you know, so as a factory. The songs have now kind of, I think in rec- more recent years than before, have become like have a life of their own which is interesting because you then you I guess it's not because it's a musical but I, you know it, 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 they've surpassed I was going to say Christmas Story but there's no no one's actually singing in Christmas Story but <laughs> it's kind of surpassed in its own way it's become you know where I don't know for me it's a little like you take Annie you know I mean you might know say a movie like Annie or their songs because you're a fan of it but I feel like Willy Wonka and Pure Imagination you know it's kind of gotten more into the Americana yeah, yeah. And then certain other musicals of the time when you hit the 70s and into the 80s, or at least trying to. It's interesting because also, we talked about the children. There, there's when, when he gets rid of each one of them, out of, and it's out of their own fault, w- w- what they've done, there's almost peril. I mean, like, you know, like uh, at the beginning, Augustus might go into the boiler. Uh, someone, Veruca Salt may get, uh, be thrown out into the trash. So there's always like this peril of oh they might they may get killed, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. but you sign the writer so and then you know the mother yeah. has to go running to look for him. So it, again, it's like he doesn't really well you know that's that's bees that way sometimes, Poppy. You know, yeah. At the end of uh, the the Tim Burton movie is uh, well, this is interesting if you're going to segue to the Tim Burton movie because I guess in he dies. Uh, um, Roald Dahl in the early 90s. The family has the, 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 pro- the rights to it. And it's one of these things where uh, they, com- they, they uh, want to do something with Warner with it. They agree, but they have final say over stuff. And it takes 15 years for anything to get done. And uh, everybody under the sun was considered like, they, they, they were thinking like, um, uh, what's his face? Nick um, from Con Air. Oh, uh, <laughs> Nick Cage. Cage yeah. And Nick Cage is there. You have Jim Carrey. They cast Jim Carrey, but then the family said no to Jim Carrey because they had final casting. So finally, when Tim, Martin Scorsese was on board for a minute, but then he declined. Afterward, he let go and he did The Aviator instead. So by the time Tim Burton comes on, Tim Burton equates it to like when he was when he got signed on to do Batman, where it was this whole malarkey of too many people working with stuff like that. And then he brought John, Johnny Depp in, and they said yes to Johnny Depp, and then. Uh, they ended up putting out the movie in 2005. Now, I have never seen that that version. You have. I saw it at the movies, and that was the last time I saw it. Did you like it? I no. It's I weird. Mean, and I, I I'm not a look. I'm I have no love for Tim Burton. You yeah. know, like I respect him. I think he's a, a brilliant visionary in terms of, uh, you know, uh, artistic design and stuff. Uh, I personally feel like he is not a good director in terms of telling a story not to say that all his movies are bad but um i'm no big fan so uh the movie kind of had that going against it but uh, you're not the only per- everyone i've talked to doesn't like the movie they say it's creepy and weird yeah and that's the basic like johnny depp's character in it is weird and creepy yeah it's he is weird they make he makes a very odd choice to have like a like a pennsylvania jersey like philadelphia accent which i think is <laughs> <laughs> it's a very odd choice, which I don't know. If anything, it's one of the only things I like about the movie is because it's a very weird decision. Um, 
Also, people's criticism was that they don't like how it's only one Oompa Loompa. Yeah, they it's just, just cloned. Yeah, yeah, they just use the one guy. I guess not cloned. They just you know, yeah, but they just use his image. Over so people over don't over people didn't like that, and then there's a lot of weird little things. And then other than that, I don't really remember it too well, to be honest with you. Like it's supposed to be more loyal to the book. They take out aspects of the uh, the sequel, the glass elevator. They 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 bring some plot points or stuff about his backstory and that into there and then yeah there's a, there is a lot of backs there's a lot of Willy Wonka backstory I think that. they invented the Christopher Lee dentist father character which uh, I don't know if people liked or not I mean even it's weird I, I saw an uh, uh, interview with Gene Wilder talking about it and he said right out he's like I, I think it's a disgrace he's like I think it's a it's an insult to the original movie he's like I he said exactly what you said he's like I'm not a fan of the director I think he's very talented he said I like Johnny Depp he's a good actor but he's like it's just more it was more he think he says it's more of an embarrassment for Warner Brothers that they're trying to cash in on doing something yeah, like that. He's I mean, like, why do you why do you, he's like why do you need to do it again? You know, a, you know. Look, there are a lot of uh, it's the it's the not that remakes are a new thing, but this does seem like the last you know since 15, the two thousands yeah. rolled around. Uh, for the last fifteen years or so have been like the era of the remake. Um, what I was going to say is that at the end of the movie, you see the kids leaving. There was like this. Obviously, like this asserted effort to be like, the kids are okay, you know. But they're like, you know, like uh, Violet's still kind of blue. Uh, Mike TV is kind of stretched out because they take him to the taffy stretcher. Well, that's that's that was his thing. Like, you want to watch out? You go to the taffy room, and they're like the mo- the mother who I thought looked like Carol Burnett. She's like, what do you mean? And he's like, you get pulled in the taffy, so she has to run. You know. Yeah. My one other favorite part is then you, the he tells the Opa Loompa to take the take him to the taffy room to stretch him or whatever and then he, the Oompa whispers into his ear he's like no I'm not going to hold you personally <laughs> it's all that little interplay and it's funny because a lot of them spoke German the Oompa because they shot it over there so it's like it's funny to think about I think they said they got about four or five English speaking like English as in UK yeah. speaking um, and it's so, so funny again it's, it's, it's just a testament to how awesome Gene Wilder is I know a, it's you know look it is one of those movies where you kind of I do kind of look and it's like well, you know like why why the need to remake it but you can say that about anything man yeah. i mean you could have said that about you know the thing from another world like yeah. why remake it and then john carpenter's the thing is one of my favorite movies of all the time you could have said that about invasion of the body snatchers 78 remake of invasion of the body snatchers is both one of our favorite movies yeah, of all yeah. time so um we can't knock people remaking you know you stuff. can't really knock the idea of a remake but you kind of do wish that like that why not just do the next book yeah like, why do Charlie and the Chocolate Factory again? Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I like Johnny Depp, too, but he... I don't know, like... Well, it's for me, the two of them kind no of... no Gene Wilder. <laughs> no, he's not. I love Johnny Depp to death. I think he's great, but it seems, especially for the two of them and them and Tim Burton, they've fallen into this niche where yeah. I think I love the Pancake, world... Pancake, makeup, and wig. Yeah. And Johnny Depp acting weird. Yeah, and, make, and, and he has like a stock... British Scottish accent which are great but he seems to use them a lot and he gets away with it a lot of times I think it's great I don't mean get away with like he's doing something wrong <laughs> but it's yeah, <laughs> he got away with it again him and his dumb dog Scooby um, but like you know I love the world Tim Burton will create but then it gets to a point where it's like it was my problem with Scorsese it's like you know every one of his movies is going to be like a gangster movie it's like ah okay he's great at doing gangster movies let's see him do something else and occasionally Burton will do that you know but a lot of times he'll interject his world into weird 
It's like, wow, I never saw a Tim Burton slant on, like, you know, like, uh, 9 to 5. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, look, I can appreciate that he has a vision and that he's an auteur or whatever. Um, but I feel like it's, this is one of those, like, I feel like he's allowed to say no to projects, and Johnny Depp's allowed to say no when Tim Burton asks him to do something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I think they need a break from each other. Yeah, I mean, even the greatest guys, they they, uh, they take a break for a while, you know, the, the pairings, because it kind of gets sour. Um, it's So, I guess, the other thing that to bring up is the whole um, tunnel sequence. That, oh, that's yeah. just, like, everybody... That's the big... That's the thing that everyone either remembers from the movie, it frightens people, people don't like watching. There's a lot of weird things going on in that. I mean, I, this may be the only child's movie where, if you're looking closely, you could see a chicken get decapitated. It's not even... You don't even have to look that closely. It's, it's, there's stock footage of a chicken getting its, <laughs> its head, head cut off. Its head cut off. Uh, uh, fantastic scene. I mean, I've always... Uh, me and my friends, when we were in high school, we were very into... Uh, uh, hardcore was like a... You know, was kind of like a sub-genre of... Um, heavy metal that we were kind of into when we go to hardcore shows and we always wanted to we always said we wanted to do an album and this is for everybody you know feel free to take this idea because I'll probably never do it you open the album probably with Schnozberry who ever heard of a Schnozberry we are the music maker we are the dreamers of dreams and then you break into like a hardcore metal version of <laughs> if you want to view a paradise, <laughs> no, of the <laughs> of the tunnel sequence. Oh, there's no uh, earthly way of knowing which direction we are going. Um, I think it's crazy. I, that's my favorite sequence in the movie. Yeah. I've always liked the, the that bo- little They're going to go from one point of, of the factory to another, and uh, so a boat arrives in the in the kind of river of chocolate, and they take this boat ride through a crazy fucking <laughs> tunnel, uh, and. Dream Wilder, extra creepy. Love the lighting in yeah. it. Um, and his just in his delivery of it. Yeah, yeah. I, and I don't even really understand the scene. You can actually take, you can cut that scene. It really has no point in the movie. I mean, it's just you're, you're right. They're getting from A to B, and then in the middle, there's this little like dance of him doing this cool poem. Yeah, <laughs> he's singing. You know, <laughs> it's like, and it's just his delivery is great. It's crazy. And then like at the end of it, he's like, Whoa! and then it's like it's like the it's like. The opening of Welcome to the Jungle. You're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's so weird. Um, you know, when it came out as well, uh, Robert Ebert loved the movie. Praised, as I say, Robert Roger Ebert pl- praised the movie, and he said it's probably the best movie of its kind since Wizard of Oz. And I got to thinking about it when I was watching it with you, and I was like, you know what? It is kind of, in a way, a Wizard of Oz ish kind of a movie where you think about Wizard of Oz, especially the the Julie Garland uh, MGM is it MGM that did Wizard of Oz, I think. I think so, yeah. Where Judy. at the beginning of the movie you have like a, the black and white world, and that's the you know okay. Well, the it's world a she very lives in. you're right. It's a very Wizard of Oz, very Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, because once they get into the factory and there's all that hoopla of getting in there, and he gets to the little door. As soon as he opens that little door and you cut to the other side, it's like a bank vault of a door and they yeah. open up. It's like them entering into Oz or, or you know, you're in yeah, yeah. Wonderland. You know, it's like the color. Now, oh, my Scott, everything's yeah. in color. It's like the movie could have been black and white. Up yeah, until up until point. then. And then it's like you're into the world of Oz. And he um, essentially is, aside from going to see the wizard, he is the wizard leading the tour. And yeah, it's like yeah. you have all these... And, you know, that's also interesting where it's, that's a very good movie and there's all these connotations. And I don't know if that was even an active idea of them modeling it, but you can make comparisons and parallels. Well, I mean, obviously, if you take a look at Wizard of Oz and then you take a look at, the, you know, Alice in Wonderland, obviously that is a, re- a repeated 
must be, you know, a device oh, yeah, for, for yeah, like for, child liter- for, yeah. literature, you know, and this is also based on a book. So, um, but yeah, totally. I mean, I would, I would, I may agree with that assessment. I mean, a certain, to a certain extent, I mean, for sure. Like, I know that you, like you're a big fan of, uh, you know, Mary Poppins and there are great, uh, kind of child children live action. But uh, I see, I feel like uh, widely imaginative movies that, have come out that came out between those two movies. I yeah. mean, that's because we're talking about forty years, yeah. <laughs> you know, of, of cinema in between. Um, but I would say that, in my personal opinion, Willy Wonka holds up in terms of you know. I would put Willy Wonka against those kinds of movies, any of those movies, yeah, any day I, of the week. It's weird because you bring up Willy, um, Willy Wonka, you bring up Mary Poppins, and as as of a great movie that is, and I love myself Disney musicals. It's so they're different movies. It's yeah. just it's like there was a little. I don't know, evil or a little more of our world, especially we see today, injected into Willy Wonka. Like it's almost like it was forecasting, like through the Paul Verhoeven style of <laughs> vignettes of TV and, and you yeah, know yeah. the news of what the world we live in today, where it's all about. I mean, it, essentially, the schoolmaster, you know, he's he's canceling class so they can go get Wonka bars, chocolate bars, and it's yeah, just, but the, you know, the, it's all that so stuff is far, very funny with the with the schoolmaster. But you talk about the news. I mean, it is in a way forecasting like a twenty four hour news cycle, yeah. which didn't really exist. No, back it, then. you know, and, and everything is dropped. Where like you know, you have the president there, everything you know, and it's just everything in the world is not as important of of these Wonka bars coming out and getting the ticket to go. You know, so it's it's very interesting. Um, my my wife told me a funny thing where she was growing up there is a uh, in Indonesia I think it is Guadalumpur Guadalumpur is the, uh, the the place she thought that's where the Oompa Loompas were from until you get older <laughs> a lot of people I guess when you're little if because yeah, yeah. you know people overseas know geography much best better than us Americans and uh, it's funny to think oh and then you know as you get older it's like that's not where the Oompa Loompas are from <laughs> they're so not they're from not there. from there silly silly goose um so it, it's it's just such a surreal movie but i think it works on on so many levels and uh yeah i love uh, you know like i love this movie um like i said i've seen this on par with the most viewings of any other movie um a couple years ago we've talked about conventions check out our horror convention podcast that pod sidecast at podwits.com yeah but i went to a convention and there was like a bit of a there was a reunion of the kids. I see Mike TV shows up at a lot of these. Yeah, now. Mike TV seems to have made a whole kind of career. And I think he's the one that organized it. So I went and, um, you know, I have like this super extra Uber Deluxe Blu-ray of it. And I was actually going to bring some of this stuff in because there's like copies of letters. Blake brought brought actual prints <laughs> of the film. <laughs> Canisters. <laughs> Sign these. I was going to bring them. To, I was going to recite a letter. I was going to, we were going to, I was thinking maybe we should read this letter that, Gene Wilder wrote Mel Stewart about like the costume. Oh, that would be cool. It has all these like stuff, all this stuff in it. Plus, it's got like pencils, chocolate scented like pencils and erasers and shit. But uh, but there's a big book, and then there's like these letters, and in the book there's a bunch of like beautiful photos. So I brought the book because I was like, oh, I'll get this autographed by all the kids. But then when I was there, when you go to these conventions, there's often like poster uh, sellers and stuff. So. I ended up buying this really cool, like, Italian Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory poster, which uh, has the image of when the boat arrives and they're standing on, like, the dock or whatever. Yeah. It's not really. They're just standing on this side and the boat's coming. So I so I got that autographed by um, Mrs. Bucket. Wow. And all the kids. 
Um, but uh, the woman who played Violet Beauregard uh, was ill. So her, her like son and like niece or something were there and she was there, but she was not, she was, she wasn't well. So she was like in her, in her hotel room. And so her son and I think it was her niece were collecting things to be signed. And then they would go get her to sign them all and then bring them back. So I gave them the poster and they said, okay, come back in like a half an hour or whatever. So I went and I came back. They gave me the poster and I'm vomit all over. (laughs) No, but I'm walking away. And luckily I looked because I looked and I'm like, she didn't sign it. You know, I paid like 15 bucks or whatever it was, 10 bucks to get it signed. I'm like, it wasn't signed. So I went back and I said, look, she didn't, like, you didn't get this signed. And this, and her son was like, oh, so, so I'm sorry. You know, it's been crazy. And so he's like, why don't you come back to the room um, and we'll get it signed real quick. So I'm walking back to the room and he's explaining her whole story about she used to, you know, I won't get into the specifics. It's not my business, <laughs> but of like why she, what's go wrong and why she's not feeling well. And so he's explaining it to me and we go to the door. She had like an illness or just, a... it was like a bad reaction oh, to okay. something. She had like, like a bad reaction to like a cosmetic product or something. And, um, so he, he enters the room and I could see like this, uh, you know, woman who's like laying in the bed or whatever. And, um, <laughs> Honey, I've brought <laughs> and I'm standing and I'm standing at the door, and she he's like, "Oh, there's somebody here uh, that wants you, you know, get something signed," and um, and I could just see that like, like she does not look good, like she's not feeling well, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you can just see it, like I'm not, I can't even I don't even have a good view of it, but I'm like I don't want to bother this woman, yeah, and uh, you know, she's like, "Oh, he can come in," and he's like, "Oh, come in, come in," and I'm like, "No, that's okay, just I just want her to have sign." He's like, "No, no, no, come in, come in, have lunch with us." <laughs> So I, I came. I come into the room, and uh, she she was, she was very nice. She was like, "Oh, how are you enjoying the convention?" And I was like, "Oh, it's okay." And um, she's like, "Have you met anybody?" I was like, "Reason, you know, like, honestly, I'm here because I wanted to meet all you guys." She's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry that we're not out there, and uh, you know, just not well, or whatever." So she signed the poster for me. Um, I ended up getting it framed and everything, but. Uh, the convention. I was, I was probably the only person that actually got to meet Violet Bogard. You went up to her room. You got invited to her room. I got invited up to Violet Bogard's room, and I hope she's hope she's well. What year was that? That was, was uh, if it wasn't last year, it was the year before. So it's it's 13, really 14. recent. Um, Charlie very shy. Well, yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Peter Ostrom because that was the only movie he did, and he's a veterinarian now. Yeah, he's a veterinarian, and uh, I think in Middle America somewhere. Uh, his specialty is your cows. Vet. Yeah, isn't that crazy? His like cattle and stuff. So he must be someplace where there's like farm farming and stuff like that. Farming industry. You imagine you go to like you just move into a town and you're like, you're like you look familiar to me. <laughs> but he's a ginger now. He's red. He's got red hair and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, big mustache. Big, big old that. awesome but freaking he, mustache. He was shy, so I didn't really talk to him. Uh, Augustus wears the fucking like lederhosen and stuff. It's amazing. But I think <laughs> you know what? I don't. I was talking to this about my wife, and I think it's the culture. It's not the shtick. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, I, you know, so people look at it and like, oh, he's just dressing up. Because, no, I think it's just, you know, when you're in that German culture, that's kind of like you dressing up in like a fancy to-do. Yeah, yeah. The leader host, so yeah. Uh, he was very nice. <laughs> Hello, you doing? Doesn't speak a whole lot of English. Um, 
My, might, my yeah. TV was nice, but he's like a mover and a shaker. You know, I think he organized the whole thing and was trying to get everybody together to do pictures that were paid for. Yeah. Uh, Violet, uh, Brooke Assault, really nice. She's a, she's hot now. Yeah, she's still she's still very pretty. She yeah. looks, uh, she looks great, uh, especially for her age. Uh, she was very f- uh, friendly and uh, you know would talk to you. She there was, she was funny because she had a book and we've I've recited this story about. Um, to me, you're Black on, Christmas. On the, uh, when we talked about Black, Black Christmas and how I, at a horror convention, I met John Saxon and I. Oh, we did it. We I, did a podcast on Black Christmas. If you haven't checked it out, so check out Saturday Sleepovers. <laughs> and uh, the story is, I, I ended up buying a copy of Black Christmas on DVD from John Saxon, and I asked him how much it was, and he was like, really confused. Like he didn't have an answer, and I always joke that. I ended up buying it and he signed it and everything, but I always joked that like I think I bought his personal copy. Of Black he brought Christmas. it that day and it's like uh, I, I don't know what to sign it uh, or sell it. Uh, okay, twenty dollars. <laughs> and so she had a book, a Willy Wonka book, like not the not the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but she has written a book about like the making of her experience, her experience of the making. And she had a copy there, like a beautiful like hard cover copy and i was like oh how much for the book and this was her personal she's like oh it's not for sale <laughs> but, uh, but how much <laughs> but i wanted to show people that I, it exists and that you can get it on amazon and stuff well, nice so if you're interested she, uh, we'll put a link into the, in the cast that's apparently it. she's written a book it looked like a nice book but she was very personable very nice so it was my run-in and uh the woman who played mrs bucket obviously uh elderly these yeah. days um like I think wanted my poster. Like she loved the poster. She's like, "Oh, where did you get it?" And this is really nice. You <laughs> almost wanted to give it she to had her. Never, yeah. she, she had never seen it before. The Italian version of the uh, an Italian movie poster. So that's, that's my run in with the. the now cast. I just need to get jeans. I yeah, I met Gene on a lark where I work. He came in to do an interview. Very nice, and it was one of these interviews where we didn't know he was going to be there. He was doing a remote. So, um, you know, we're, we have a pre-tape on our schedules, and we're just like, oh, okay. We walk in, freaking Gene Wilder's sitting there, and I got to mic him up. I'm like, oh, you know. So I was like telling people, like, Gene Wilder's there, Gene Wilder. So as he was leaving, people were kind of hesitant. I, was, I went to him. I was like, you know, could I, could I trouble you for a picture? He's like, sure. So we took a picture. and was like, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. Da, da, da. And, and I don't know, like I, we were talking about the beginning of the t- cast. I, I love Wilder, and it's just, you know, I really respect what he does because he's an author now, and that's what he was on for. He was pumping. He's written like I'd say like five or six like uh, crime mystery novels, uh-huh. where he's got like a head, um, you know, um, a character that I guess is a reoccurring character in the in the probably in the uh, tradition of like an Agatha Christie esque or something. Sure. And uh, he does those now, and he says like um, they talk to him like you know why haven't you stopped? You haven't acted for like twenty years. And he's like, well, there's nothing really good. It you know he has two different philosophies. Like one, nothing is really good that came by that I've seen. If there is, maybe if it's something good enough, I come up. And the second thing is he doesn't like where comedy's gone. He doesn't like that every other word is fuck, shit, yeah, yeah. cock. And he says and he's not really into the world now where you where you have movies that are or comedy especially that's just a derivative of that to get a laugh. He said it was funny if you pepper it in, but now if it's every other word, you know, take that out of it. So that's he's kind of doesn't like Hollywood and what it's become for those reasons, which I agree with. And he's kind of, uh, sen- you know, he's had, hey, he had a hard life in a sense where... You know, he didn't start acting until he was like, you know, probably like in his early 30s. So he's had a whole life before that. And then he was married to Gilda Radner, who passed away. Yeah. So that was kind of tough. Sure. And I think he ended up marrying um, the the person that was helping him take care of her. So I guess there was a relationship there. I mean, yeah, not yeah. anything prior, but it's comforting that yeah, maybe yeah. they... Yeah, like when you go through an experience, yeah. I mean, that happens. A lot of people end up... Uh, 
people that are widowed ended up end up like marrying like the best friend yeah. of the person. Because you already have that story. There's a connection there. And that story, but you already have that that back time together. So it's and so I mean I think you anybody out there who's interested, go on YouTube and look up some of his interviews recently because he's he's very pro- prophetic on his thoughts of like the Mel Gibson comedy, Mel Gibson, the Mel Brooks comedies, and the and the uh, he has great stories about. Pryor, because you know that's a huge thing about his stuff he did with Richard Pryor and how what what it was like to work with Richard Pryor with the drugs and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I love him to death. It's, it's so we've together we've kind of met the cast. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> almost so. Yeah, almost. Uh, most you know, of the people, most I would love to see Wilder. Like I said, Wilder's could I would I would listen to him read the phone books. I would love to have him just do books on tape. Um, I don't know if, if he would sit down and do a podcast, but just, I would just love I just love listening to his nice, comforting, soothing voice. Um, I think also before we end this, we should give a shout out to the art director uh, Harper Goff, who was also the art director for he won an Oscar for Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and Fantastic Voyage. Um, I think the art direction is amazing. In this yeah, movie. especially because I you mean, know, look, uh, and I, I guess they filmed even though the exteriors were filmed in Munich. I would guess that would almost mean that the interiors were filmed there as well, or maybe at least England. Yeah, so. I guess I would. I don't. I know they'd say Munich, but I don't know. You're right. I don't know about like the soundstage stuff. Yeah, stage. I mean, the movie was made for like three million dollars, which okay, you know, in 1970 was a lot more money than it is now, but still a pretty modest budget. Yeah, and for him to be able to get that, and then a, a lot of that stuff, like the candy room when he's singing um, uh, "Pure Imagination," all that stuff that's edible, and the, all that the world and the, and the the Doctor uh, Seuss esque machines that he's made. You know, he's. Yeah. You know, because Wonka's basically like a Rube Goldberg, kind of like he has these crazy machines just shit out like a little <laughs> chocolate, you know, like, you know, like, you know, yeah. and, uh, M&M, you know what I mean? Um, I guess he's like, he's adding like, like, you know, soccer cleats. And yeah, he's like, cause it, he, it'll give it a little kick. It gives it a little kick. You know, it's, it's just funny. I, I, I think in retrospect, maybe we should have kept this cast G-rated because we could have given, we could have advertised it to children, but we're like, fucking, <laughs> God damn it, this movie is fucking awesome. crazy. It's so like that. Uh and then it's weird the reaction for Rule Dahl. He disowned the film after the movie came out. He said uh, he didn't like the the rewrites that David Seltzer wrote, which I don't know if that's more of an ego thing. And uh, you know he, he he didn't like what what had done. It infuriated him, and so he kind of uh, he didn't like the adding the, sl- the Slugworth aspect as a spy, and the, the he didn't like the fizzy lifting drink sequence. So he was a little upset. But that happens with everything. I mean, look at Alan Moore. I think. Al Moore has there isn't one movie that's come out by Al Moore that he hasn't taken his name off of. I mean, sometimes for the right reasons. Look at League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But you know, there's, some of these authors are really well. You know, you have a vision. You know, and you that's know, kind of I guess kind of your baby. And yeah, that's given, the, and it's bastardized and, and in any kind of way. Letting somebody else adopt it, basically, you're giving it away. Yeah, and you don't know, and then you can't really and you're not um, able to raise it the way you yeah. want it to be raised. Uh, and then I guess the other last last thing is they didn't know how to end the film. Oh yeah, you know the, the well, last apparently line. Apparently, the last line of the book is like Grandpa Jay, uh, Joe says, "Like Whoopee yeah. or something." And Mel Stewart was like, "I'm not ending the movie." <laughs> With Grandpa Joe saying, "Whoopee." So uh, by that time, David Seltzer was on vacation. He thought his job on the movie was done. He left, and he was like up in Maine or something. At like a he had like a cabin up there, and he was about to go fishing. And there was like it's one of those like really. You know, rural areas, and so there was like one payphone in the middle of the town, <laughs> and, which he's on all the time. Eh? <laughs> and uh, and he was about to go fishing, and apparently you could hear the phone, you know, way on the river. I don't know if you've, if you've ever been on like a lake or whatever. The sound carries over the water, 
And so this phone's ringing, so he goes and he picks it up, and it's Mel Stewart on the other line. He's like, look, we're about to shoot the end of the movie. I, I need a new line. I'm not ending this movie with him saying yippee or yup, whoopee or whatever. So it's like, I need you to give me a, I need one last line. That's all I need. And, and you could picture them all on set. They're all waiting. Gene's in his half, <laughs> the half office, which I yeah, always thought was weird. Yeah, I always thought it was weird. I was going to ask you, if, is that a joke? Like, is that some kind of reference or joke that I'm not getting? I don't. That's why. I, that's what, when we were watching it, I was saying the same thing because I remember that's that's probably aside from the the other highlights of the movie, the the, the Oompa Loompas or the the scene in the tunnel. The ending for the movie was always I don't know if it was freaky, but I always remembered he had like everything was cut in half in the office. Yeah, I don't know. So if, I don't, I don't get know if, if there's the like in like some other there's some kind of like cultural thing that like some kind of room is it's called like a half room. <laughs> you know, there's some kind of room. Well, anyway, so if you know, please t- uh, yeah. email us and tweet yeah, us and let us know. Let because us know, that, that you is know truly if that is like a reference or a joke or it's, something it's, that we're that's we're, we're escaping this. So he says, so yeah, he's apparently they're waiting on set. And he says, I need a line. And the first thing that comes to David Seltzer's, in David Seltzer's head is something that he doesn't even think is good. But he's like, it's all I got. And he's like, so here's the line. And it's, do you know what happened to the guy, to the man that suddenly got everything he ever wanted? He lived happily ever after. And Malsor's like, that's it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> he just get a dial tone. Be, hello. <laughs> hello. And he fed it to Gene, right? And Gene he fed didn't. it to Gene. Gene thought it was brilliant. And he delivers it. And, and I think it works. And it's touching. Yeah. It, you know, it really is like, it's a, it is like a a very, you know, like you can get a little, yeah, get a little teared up for that. You know, it's <laughs> like you know, they're, they're in their little TARDIS elevator. Because you, know, you know, and it's just. Because you, you know where Charlie's coming from. Like, you, they asked, you're saying that if you're, if you're giving like, you know. You know, a sin or whatever to each one of the. If you're applying a, like a, a fault to every each one of the kids, and Charlie's being desired, it's like, but Charlie, Charlie has every right to want. He is the just to right yeah. want more yeah. for him and his family. Yeah. Yeah. Which which Willie Willie Mister Wonka seems like he <laughs> knows. Oh Willie, Willie. Willie. <laughs> slick Willie Wonka, <laughs> Yo, slick Willie Wonka. That's the seventies black exploitation <laughs> film. <laughs> slick Willie's back, <laughs> and this time he ain't taking no prisoners. <laughs> Uh, starring Isaac Hayes as Willy Wonka <laughs> <laughs> and Fred, uh, not Fred Dickerson. What's his face? Uh, uh, Fred, uh, Fred Williamson <laughs> as the Oompa Loompas. But anyway, of, a lot of ch- chocolate, <laughs> a lot of Pam Grier <laughs> as coffee. Oh, Cleopatra you know what Jones. I do have to bring up before we wrap this up because there's something that I always find very funny in the movie. Um, for like, just like Charlie's birthday or something, they get him. The family gets him a, a Wonka. Yeah, they they save their money. They save their whatever. I guess the they're mother. not eating the cabbage water this week. The, the mother goes out and buys. Charlie comes home and they they surprise him with this with this Wonka candy. Yeah, and um, they're like, oh, you know, open it. Grandpa Joe's real positive. Like, oh, this is going to be the winner. Blah blah blah. And <laughs> I can get out of fucking bed now. And I what I find hilarious about it is like it's so. <laughs> motherly it's so something that your mom would do is they get him the wrong fucking candy bar oh yeah it's they like a it wonka anyway. moon pie or something it's not the wonka bar yeah. so like it's like <laughs> you know, just something that like you might like you wanted the trait you wanted like optimus prime and they got your go by <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then like the intentions were there like god bless her like you know like 
all you know as she was really thinking she was doing the right thing but there's always every person has a story where like your mom gotcha the thing that was really fucking close to the one you wanted but not the right but one. it's not the right one and it's like hard to be like hey thanks yeah. you know it's hard to be excited about it well that's the story of my life where I, that's happened to me and then i try to pl- politely tell my parents they're like you're so unfucking grateful you fucking idiot but it's not the right one <laughs> so they get him the they get him the chocolate bar and then they don't even get him the right it's not the one that has the golden ticket in it so that's just something i had to point out because every time i saw <laughs> you made me laugh at halfway through the story because i'm thinking um uh, Jack Albertson, uh, Albertson, who plays Uncle um, or Grandpa, Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Joe. Uh, wouldn't it be hilarious if back when he was in his 40s, he came up with, you know, he's a con artist or a shtick. You know, he said he was ill, so he's been stuck in the bed for how many years? So he's looking for his out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's like, he's been playing this part. Like, I really, you know, but he has to keep the guise of being sick. And this is his, okay, well, I'm going with him. <laughs> oh, you can walk. It's like, he's like, yes, fine. So, so. There's so many left turns. We can Next make time you watch the movie, look at it. It's like a moon pie. It's not even a chocolate bar. Does he know then? I guess uh, Charlie's like as soon as he's. Like, I don't think Charlie. <laughs> you guys are I freaking think idiots. They just didn't have a chocolate you bar. You don't listen to anything scene. I say, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Go talk to the to the kitty fiddler down the road at the candy store. He would have told you that, which one is. Jesus, I bet you it probably cost double. He could have got. They could have got him two Honka bars. So that's just my little pet peeve. I always think that's really funny. And it's probably not even meant to be that in the movie. But I always think of that like everybody's got. Like yeah. even like it, it even happens like recently. Like a friend of mine a couple years for Christmas wanted like. Wanted like, skeleton. Wanted, no, wanted like the Xbox or the, the PlayStation 4 or whatever. And his mom for Christmas got got them. This is recently? Yeah, this was like. This was like within the last five years, you know. So you, I mean, you still get presents from yeah. your parents or whatever. And got her, got him the Xbox, and he wanted the fucking PlayStation. <laughs> and then when you, as you get to be an adult, I guess maybe it's harder to even hide the the disappointment. I, I told you that's. I mean, uh, Blake, you've known me for I don't know how many years, but it's just that's the story of my life with my family. Like my parents always get me the thing off. They 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 find out I need something. They get a hard on that we're going to get it for you now. And then they get the wrong thing. <laughs> and, I'm like, and then I'm trying to politely say to them, you got me, not the right. And then, they, like then they're like. This wasn't the one. Yeah, then they're I like, you're wanted. so fucking ungrateful, aren't you? And they hang up. I'm like, no, I'm desired. <laughs> oh, years so. of therapy. Uh, what did you think of the movie? Oh, I mean, I love Five out of five. five. Yeah, five, I think five out of five. Colas, five yeah. Wonka. Five to golden tickets, baby. My, my five <laughs> sleepover stars, five out of five. Four point five, five out of five. All, it's great. Yeah. Uh, Hell of a lot of fun. I, you, so do you recommend it to Tim Burton? Um, I mean, just for as a curiosity. I, yeah, I, look, I would never say you know don't watch something, but yeah. uh, I would say if you're going to watch it, like realize that it's a very different movie. Yeah, but um, I wonder. I wonder upon reading the book, I wonder how it, how it, you know for fans. I don't know. It's like I said. There's a lot of weird backstory. Yeah, and there is the whole thing about like the father, which I don't uh, think I think they invented. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. Is like. Why? Like what? Because they wanted to. I guess they wanted Burton wanted to justify why he's messed up. I don't know. You know, that's like nowadays. Don't we? Is that another one of our themes? We talk about advertising. All all stuffs based off of advertising. Willy Wonka, Transformers, GI Joe. Yeah. yeah. And then all the thing is like, uh, you know, 
you don't need to explain everything. You know, uh, Norman Bates, his mom did it. His mom <laughs> fucked him over. We know, uh, w- w- you know, at the end of the episode, it's because of this, you know. And we always contend, you know, uh, me with Night of Living Dead, where they kind of give it away that it's, something, it's a satellite coming from Jupiter. You with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You don't yeah, need yeah. to know why. Halloween. Halloween. You don't need to know why these people Sometimes are. Sometimes you don't need a reason. That's, that's, the, that's scarier. That you don't have the reason. You don't know why these people are suddenly going crazy who, well, I don't know, they work at a fucking slaughterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that you could start there, you know? The idea, maybe flat human flesh just tastes better. Yeah, meat's meat, man's got to eat, you know? So, um, But there are, like you said, there are Wonka. Oddly enough, there are, there's more like Wonka candy than chocolate these days. Well, it's become a whole, like, I mean, runs, and uh, there are gobstoppers, which are like jawbreakers. And, yeah. Uh, um, and I, but I do up. love that, like the cartoon Willy Wonka is if right there is a commercial, or if there's you see it like on the packaging, it's, it looks they've actually modeled it after Gene Wilder. Yeah, and his, his wiry hair and stuff like that. I mean, it's perfect. I mean, I don't even know. I'd love to r- go in depth and read about like you know, was it his idea to well I'll grow my hair out a little bit and I'll have this little eccentric, you know, <laughs> eccentricities, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then his dancing and stuff like that. I mean, it's just it's a tour de force for 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 Wilder. It's such a great role. I mean, do you think? I was having this discussion with somebody who loves this movie even more than I do, and they were saying that this is the part that Gene Wilder's best known for. And I was like, I don't think so. I'm like, look, I love the movie, and I love Gene Wilder. I think, it, it, I think it's but an I would age say range. Like, I would say, like, either, you know, I guess probably maybe, you know, maybe you're right. Like when whatever. I was little, maybe this was it, but then at the same but for time. For me, it was like, I would always think Young Frankenstein. Yeah, I would say I was exposed to Young Blazing Frankenstein Saddles when I was little. Something, but when you're slightly older, it's Blazing Saddles, but I mean, I was probably exposed to this and then Young Frankenstein, probably around the same age. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, growing up, I saw a lot of like, you know, his stuff with uh, Richard Pryor. So yeah, I saw. Yeah. I saw. We kind of grew up with some stir of that, crazy, like. uh, silver streak. Certainly, here in the we've seen evil, and then um, I saw him also uh, with Haunted Honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, <that> great <laughs> movie he did with with Gilda Radner and uh, yeah, Dom yeah. DeLuise. Yeah, and there's yeah. a whole bunch that of people. They got a lot of airplay. You know, yeah, that was like, like huge. And you know, and yeah. I don't even know if that movie did that well. But you're right. In the mid '80s, that was like a staple with Clue. Clue in that movie, they played all the time. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff I saw him in. And it's like, oh, it's him. You know what I mean? And then I'm sure we're forgetting stuff. I mean, of course, he's his first role, he was in uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that was his idea to play it comedically. They didn't even tell him that. And then once they did it, they're like, we didn't think you were going to go that way. He's like, was that bad? They're like, no, that, that was really good. We're going to keep it. And he's like, well, I just wanted the part to be a little unique, you know? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's, you know, it's interesting. And then, you know, another one that I actually love of him that people really don't bring up a lot is the, uh, what is it, the Frisco Kid, where he plays the Hasidic Jew and Harrison Ford is with him, like the cowboy, and they have to, like, get across to they're going out west and it's the <laughs> it's the weird adventures it's that's one of those movies that like they would play probably after Willy Wonka on like Thanksgiving for me yeah, on USA yeah, yeah. and I'm like what the hell is this you know Gene Wilder's an acidic Jew you know and, and, and Harrison Ford out of character between probably what Star Wars and Empire yeah yeah you know but, oh, uh, classic yeah so, uh, so if you want to view Paradise simply look around and view it baby yeah, 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 there's, <laughs> nothing <Willy> <laughs> there's nothing to it there's nothing to it um there's no earthly way of knowing which one we're going to do next. <laughs> so uh, please drop us a line at uh, SaturdaySleepovers.Podwits.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Podroid. Uh, check us out at Podwits.com. We do the sidecast. We do a lot of varied topics there. We'll be back in two weeks to do another uh, sleepover movie. 
uh, as yet to be determined. I don't know if we should start teasing what we're going to do next week if we know. But then I don't know if there's a point to it. <laughs> I don't know if people listen to them in order. Who knows? Well, that's true. I'm out of order. <laughs> that's true. You could. This could be the first one you're you listening download to. Download them. So yeah. Oh, oh yeah. There's that, they're not like really going out on the air, are they? So yeah. That, uh, also, look, we still have yet to get a request. Yeah. It's pissing me off. So. <laughs> Start sending there us listening. Tweet us. Tweet us. Tweet. Give us a tweet. Comment. We have Facebook. Leave on, a comment under the uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go to our Facebook page. Just leave. Just take. Just tell us you like it. <laughs> just <laughs> just some kind of feedback. Yeah. We know there are people. Oh, you know what? I have thing. to say, there's there are people like uh, a friend of mine from high school, Chris uh, Frodel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, but he, I, I would like been, someone who are not who is directly. Well, even <laughs> I wouldn't mind a request from somebody we know or you know, yeah. a friend of ours. Uh, but it would be great to hear from I've already gotten requests, and I'm like, hey, I'm not going to do that. Right. <laughs> no, you're just not telling me <laughs> yeah, about it. I just don't want to. Because the guy's like, I'll do it with you. <laughs> so, uh, there, there are a lot of people that want to sit in. Yeah, that's so true. it's, you we know. You do get those. So, I mean, if it's Joe Piscopo or Gene Wilder, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, who knows? But, uh, yes, please come back in two weeks. Check us out, potwits.com, Saturday night, uh, Saturday night, Saturday sleepovers.potwits.com. And we're on Twitter at Sat Sleepovers, at Sat Sleepovers. So, uh, have fun. It's getting light out. We better get to bed. No more coffee. No Saturday more food. Morning. Sunday morning. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, before we get into the other cast, the televangelist cast. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk to you soon. And until next time. Later. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Gee, what a keen movie. I love that, Willy Wonka. Yeah, but how about that Chocolate Factory? Oh, heavy. Sure wish I could make my own candy. Yeah. Captain Crunch speaking. Hello, I got a surprise for all my loyal crew. A special offer from the folks at Quaker. A miniature candy factory. Mother can help you melt some chocolate bits that you buy at the grocer. And pour the chocolate in the special molds. When it hardens, you're in the candy business. Hurry, hurry. Get your Willy Wonka candy bars here. I made it myself. I'll trade you three plain ones for you. Balloompa. Okay. Yeah, but you know, ten cents Look for these specially marked packages of Quaker cereals and send one dollar and two purchase seals from any of them to the address on the package. You get everything you need, except the chocolate bits, to make candy with your Willy Wonka candy factory kit.